Our team, Chris, in the last 14 months, we've grown 65 franchisees. Wow. So if you are not wildly profitable and successful with what you're doing that you're thinking about franchising, then you have no business franchising. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Ever thought about franchising? Many of our listeners are getting to the point in their business where they're thinking about making that move. It can be a big leap to take your business to the next level and serve more customers. Today's guest, Matt Miller, is the founder of School Spirit Vending. School Spirit Vending and Matt literally started this business setting up gumball machines at schools and around his hometown. Fast forward to today and School Spirit Vending has 100 franchise families working for their organization. They serve 2,500 schools in 42 different states in the U.S. and has raised $5 million, yes, $5 million for schools in five years, 50 cents at a time. So if you're thinking about moving into the franchise world and want to learn more about the science of this process, check out this episode. And without further ado, let's welcome Matt to the show. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? Awesome, Chris. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We're glad to have you. You're sitting in Texas right now, right? Yeah, Stephenville, Texas. I call it E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so it's really full-on small-town Texas. Yeah, Stephenville itself is is about 15,000 people with the university students mm -hmm. when they're in session. We live about six miles north of town. So uh, we've got about six acres and can see the stars at night and just uh, just love the peace and quiet of the country. Is that where you grew up? Oh, no. I grew up in the Chicago area. Um was an Air Force pilot after graduating from the Air, Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. So kind of lived uh, a little bit of everywhere in my time in the military. Um, I went through pilot training in Lubbock, Texas, and fell in love with the state back in my early days in the Air Force. And once we got out of the military, decided to move back into the area. Was down in Houston for about a decade in the corporate world, and then when business grew big enough to where I could do what I wanted and, and go full-time as an entrepreneur, we decided to move out into the country and and uh, slow things way down. <laughs> do you miss the city life? I, I love it. I love spending time there, but you know the traffic and all that, I, I had enough of in my 10 years in the Houston area. So we go in to Fort Worth or Dallas by choice, you know, a couple times a month. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, the traffic jam is, you know, getting behind a tractor on the way into town or something yeah, today. Sounds like a good life. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. So, Matt, we want to dive into you and your story. So we're going to pass the mic on over to you. And if you just want to share with us how you became the entrepreneur that you are today. You know, Chris, I did some stuff in MLM early on in my professional career outside of what I was doing in the military and then as an advertising executive. 
And I learned real quickly along the way, working for the corporate world, that the rules are always changing. They were never in my favor. And the stockholder is the priority in publicly traded companies, not the employee. And so there was a bunch of choices and decisions that were made along the way that negatively impacted me and my family that I had no control over whatsoever. And I just got to a point in my life where I was like, you know what, I've had enough of this. I'm better than this. I know that I can make money and not be beholden to somebody else for my paycheck. And so I started experimenting, doing a bunch of different things on the side. Uh, We collected aluminum cans for a while. I sold used books on Amazon for several years back before selling on Amazon was cool. I did all, all kinds of stuff. The challenge was I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, and the whole idea of passive income stuck with me. And so everything I was doing, I was comparing to his idea of, of the passive income stream and had a good buddy of mine from church one Sunday here. This is probably 13 years ago, mentioned that he and his young daughters had bought a couple of gumball machines and it was a way for them to do some business together for the girls to make some money and that type of thing. And that struck a chord with me, even though I had a big uh, hole that I had to get out of financially uh, for me and my family and a quarter isn't a lot. The margins on a gumball machine, on a gumball itself, is about a thousand percent. Wow! And the machines, of course, do all the selling. So once they're placed, I was able to continue my career, continued to do that, and at the same time was making money using vending machines, starting with gumball, then gumballs, then candy, then toys, then stickers, then temporary tattoos, and that type of thing. <laughs> and um, got to oh seven and oh eight. I then had about 125 locations around the Houston area, was making a couple times more part-time working nights and weekends than I was making full-time as an ad executive. But the market tanked, and a lot less people were going out and frequenting the businesses where I had equipment. So once again, I was frustrated with what was going on. And right around that time, I had several young kids come knocking on my door without their parents selling me stuff for the local school fundraiser. I thought it was odd that they were coming to homes of strangers. And because I had kids in that age group, that made me feel really uncomfortable. But then I also got to thinking that if I wanted to hedge against the ups and downs of the market, maybe I should be doing vending where the kids are nine days or nine months out of the year, five days a week. And that's in schools. So I came up with the whole idea of doing custom stickers for schools with their mascot and their colors and all, and then selling them in customized vending machines within the school walls and tested the idea. A good buddy of mine was a a elementary PE teacher. We set up our first machine October of 07. So almost a decade ago and have never looked back today. We're in about 2,500 schools in 42 or so States We've got 100 franchisee families on our team and uh, just absolutely grown like a weed right now. 
That's incredible, Matt. Actually, you and I have a lot of similarities. I was dabbled in the MLM world. I sold, also sold used books on Amazon, and I'm a big fan of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm curious, when I was selling used book on, books on Amazon, I would go to these libraries in these small towns in Iowa and buy their books for really cheap and then resell them. Where did you get your books at? I went to Goodwill. I went to library book sales. I went to the Salvation Army. Anywhere I could find used books. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I learned that the that the weirder ones that and not the stuff that I would read, but the stuff that were really, really niche were the ones that commanded the highest price. Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it was it was crazy how little I was spending for those things and how quickly they were going out the door on the other end. Have you ever met Robert Kiyosaki or spoken with him? I have not. I would love to someday, but I haven't. Yeah, I haven't up to this point. You're kind of like the perfect rich dad story because I think he talked about selling vending machines or gumball machines in one of his books, right? Yeah, I think so. Incredible story, Matt. Thanks for sharing. So now you're running. Do you call it SSV or School Spirit Vending? School Spirit Vending to those on the outside internally. You know, we shorten it up to SSV all the time. Yeah. So either one works. So I'd like to learn about the process of you growing this business into something where you decided to start to franchise it. And so how many years did that take you? Well, we started franchising actually only two years ago. In fact, the beginning of a month from now will be two years ago that, that we started that. Before that, we were doing a distributorship with a licensing model. And that's how we got started. Initially, it was me and a couple of buddies who had done some business stuff together previously. And before long, as we started to get some traction and have some success in schools, I had a bunch of folks reach out to me, friends and family initially. They were like, man, I want to do what you're doing. And so that's where kind of the impetus came from to begin with. Um, reached out to my attorney. We you know, drew up a, a, a distributorship agreement and a licensing agreement. And so from the very beginning, we were putting systems together to teach other people how to do what we do just in a lot more informal way than we do today as a franchise. As a pilot in the Air Force for nine years, we live and die by the checklist. Mm -hmm. And so my world was surrounded by checklists and, you know, there's the before engine start checklist and the engine start checklist, the before taxi, the before takeoff, the after takeoff, et cetera. So when I started the business, I realized that if I wanted to be able to scale this thing uh, at all and have a life that I needed to start essentially putting a bunch of checklists together, which I later figured out were actually, you know, systems and processes mm-hmm that would allow me to leverage my time and my knowledge over and over and over and over again. Well, we got to a point where we had kind of stagnated here about three years ago. Uh, You know, we had kind of exhausted the friends or the family or the friends of friends or whatever. Um, And we were kind of very regionally focused primarily across the South. And my business coach, a guy by the name of Aaron Walker that I met at a Dave Ramsey Entree Leadership event a little over three years ago, um, he said, you know what? I've been looking over the weekend, and do you have any idea how many schools there are out there that you're not in? He said, I'm excited what you guys have done up to this point. 
But there's a lot of opportunity out there that you guys haven't even scratched the surface of. He said, if I was you, I'd get focused and figure out how you can let those schools know who you are. Mm-hmm. So I started looking into ways to market what we were doing to grow our business team. And along the way, reached out to my attorney once again to find out what my options were on the legal side of things. And he said, you know what, Matt, to be honest, if you want to grow, especially in the West, in the Midwest and in the Northeast, you need to be a franchise because a lot of those states have a lot more strict business opportunity laws. Oh, yeah. And so I wasn't planning on it. it. I didn't even have it on the radar. I didn't have a lick of money in the bank at that time. And two and a half years ago, <laughs> in, well, actually last you know, two and a half years ago, two years ago, February was when that conversation occurred. And we just started to figure this thing out. I found a way to borrow some money and we got this thing going. Our team, Chris, in the last 14 months, we've grown 65 franchisees. Wow. So so our business has over doubled in just 14 months time. And what we found is there's a lot of people out there that are looking to start a business but don't know how, right. who are looking to help and help uh, out in their local community and working with schools just makes a lot of sense to them. And we also promote family business with what we do and, and encourage folks to get their family involved, their kids, et cetera. And there's a lot of people looking to do that as well and develop a tighter relationship with their kids along the way. And so we've struck a chord and and have really, really, really had some amazing growth because of that. That's amazing. And what's your primary role today as the founder of the business? What do you what do your day to day activities look like? Uh, you know, I'm still involved in some of the the day to day communications and decision making and operations and all that. I'm working more and more into the role, more of visionary and making sure that, you know, I'm planning for five to 10 years down the road and putting the pieces and the programs in place now uh, to continue to benefit our team as we continue to grow. I also do a lot of content creation. In fact, two of the two of the three podcasts I do are actually couldn't be any more niche. They are actually only to our franchise team. Okay. So they go, they go out to a maximum of a hundred people a week. And, um, I do interviews with outside experts. I do interviews of successful franchisees on our team. I do interviews with other fundraising companies that complement what we do in our space. And then I have another show where it's just me talking for five to 10 minutes about a topic, whether it be a success principle, whether it be something specific to what we're doing in the schools. Um, you know, in today's day and age, communication is so important. And when we've got a team that's literally spread all over the U.S. and is about to be in Canada as well, um, I found podcasting and audio mm. uh, content to be very, very valuable. Yeah. Because just like you know, uh, the listener can be driving down the road or mowing the lawn or working out or just hanging out doing stuff around the house and can be listening and learning instead of trying to focus on a blog post or a, an article for 5, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. 
Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever. Four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. What are some ways, Matt, that you teach the franchisees and even ways that you've done this personally to break the barrier to get into the schools? I imagine it's quite a, you know, you're a checklist guy, so kind of like a systematic sales process. And I'm kind of curious if you could share more about that. Uh, Well, the biggest thing is, is we utilize a multi-pronged marketing approach with what we do. And even though there is all kinds of cool new tools online and otherwise, Uh, some of which we take advantage of. I'm also an old-fashioned guy, um, and because I spent 10 years in the direct mail world Mm -hmm. uh, and saw so much success for the companies that I worked with there, um, you know, we use a lot of old-fashioned stuff too, you know. So anything from Facebook ad campaigns to, you know, handwritten notes and postcards to, to letters, to trade shows, to good old door to door, you know, all of those things together bring about the success for the members of our team. Because as, as most people know today, we all respond to messaging differently. I know in my household, as an example, I'm the one that if the mail comes in, I'll sort through it, look for the bills or anything that's important. Everything else gets ripped up and thrown in the trash immediately. My wife, is the one that goes through every bit of mail and will read through it or at least (laughs) take a look at it before deciding to throw it away. So if someone is trying to get a message to me via mail, chances are slim to none that I'm going to get it unless it's, you know, a bill or or somebody I'm already working with in business in one way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. My wife, on the other hand, is the one that they might reach, but she's not the one that has the business mind. So the same thing is true with our customers or anybody's customers. You know, they might be on Facebook all the time. They might not be. They might go through their mail. They might not. They might actually read their emails. Many out there are sending stuff straight to spam. They might answer the door when you come a calling. They might not. They might attend that trade show. They might not. So what we have found is by reaching out in a multitude of ways and putting together a systematic calendar planning calendar or marketing calendar, as I call it, Mm -hmm. throughout the year, and then committing to that calendar now for the next 12 months without really measuring the results or making any decisions based on those results, over time, all of those things working together will yield the result that they're truly looking for and help them develop the relationships that they truly need to develop. And so because I'm a marketing guy and an ad guy, that is a lot of what we do and what we focus on, um, you know, because of the background that I bring to the table. So I understand that process, and I know you do too, because we're both entrepreneurs. And I'm curious, like the franchisees that you get and those that you're teaching this process, 
is it hard for them to understand that concept and really does it take a while for them to get that and, and to keep applying it until they find success? You know, I I think the overarching thought process oftentimes takes a while, but the individual parts are not that difficult. Um, you know, they've got a database of all the schools that are that are in their territory. You know, they know how to data mine and we teach them how to how to find other information that they need to successfully send out mailings and do email campaigns and all that. But the thought process of being consistent over a period of time is I think the thing that is so crazy simple that most people don't get it. And that's one of the things that I have to go back and teach over and over and over again. You can't do something for two weeks and stop. You, you got to keep doing it, right? you know, right. or do it for a while. And then you tie this other thing into it as well and use the two of them to complement one another. And then you do this and then you do that. And to commit to something a year in advance mentally for a lot of people is difficult to begin with because <laughs> most true. of us are making a decision, you know, maybe this week. Uh, or maybe a couple of months down the road for what they what they want to do on a vacation. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not making a decision for a year from now in business or or about most things in life. So I think that's probably the hardest thing to teach. Yeah. A lot of the how to is just it's just a matter of doing it once and 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 we take them through that process. How do you know if like if say somebody approaches you or gets a hold of you guys and wants to work with you? How do you know personally as the boss whether that person is going to be a good fit for your organization? Well, culture is the most important thing, in my opinion, in business and especially, especially in our business. So because of that, we end up doing a series uh, when somebody expresses interest in what we're doing. Uh, normally lasts six to eight weeks, sometimes longer. We do a series of four to six video conferences, and that's kind of the interview process. And it's not an interview as most people think of an interview to be in relation to a job or something like that, but it's an opportunity for us to spend a lot of time together or a couple months time face to face, getting to know each other as they're learning about the business and all the ins and outs of it and the details behind it, and as we're getting to know them. And I've been doing this long enough in business in general to get a feel for, okay, does this person have the right mindset? You know, uh, do they understand the work that's going to be involved on the front end? On the back end, it's amazing the kind of money that can be made and and how little work has to be done to support it. But just like anything that's worthwhile, it takes effort on the beginning. And so we take a lot of time asking probing questions, but also just getting to know people, what makes them tick, who they are, what they've done in their life, and most importantly, why do they want to be an entrepreneur? Why do they want to be a part of SSV? Because if if, if something just doesn't jive for whatever reason, I've learned over the years I'm better off passing and moving on than trying to fit a, a round peg into a square hole or vice versa. Yeah. And one bad apple can can create, you know, 
huge headaches for everybody within the organization. So we spend a lot of time, and since we're decentralized, and they might be in Canada somewhere or in the Chicago area or California or, or who knows where, you know, video, video conferencing and, and the technology today makes being able to do that so much simpler than ever before. You know, I think the biggest thing is just realizing this is a long, this is the long game. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Realizing that it's not get rich quick. And I found there really isn't any such thing as get rich quick. Yeah. And that it's going to take time to put together. But if done properly, um, you know, what can happen on the back end is, is pretty incredible. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. Uh, another thing is just discipline. Another thing is, is, is basic people skills. I mean, there's some people that have gotten to the stage in the interview process where they're actually talking to me and, um, I'm talking with them for five minutes and I'm like, Holy smokes, this person is not a good fit. And I, and I can tell, Mm-hmm. You know, every question that they're being asked, it's yes, no, <laughs> maybe, you know, with, I mean, that's just one example. Yeah. But, but then I have also found along the way, and I was actually taught this by, I take guitar for fun, been doing it for about four years. My, my teacher is a member of the country music hall of fame. And, and he always talks about the fact that he knows when somebody comes in to ask about guitar lessons if they're asking, okay, I want to learn this song, how long is it going to take me? If that's one of the first questions out of their, mu- out of their mouth, he refuses to work with them hmm. because they're already starting to count the cost instead of thinking about the long term and the benefit and realizing that doing anything great takes time. Yeah. Um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers talks about taking 10,000 hours to be great at anything. And I firmly believe that that's the same in business as well. Um, What I do may not require 10,000 hours for me to figure it out or to get good at it. At least the basics of running a vending machine or a route or selling stickers or whatever. But there's a lot more to being world class at anything than just those basics. And uh, I know I put my 10K in. <laughs> I don't know about you, Chris, and your audience, but but I've done that in spades. Yeah. And, you know, there's no secret to a lot of this. You just got to be willing to put in the time. It's very true. Matt, I want to ask you, I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the other end that are getting to the point or kind of they have the idea in the back of their head to start franchising. So I wonder if you could give some tips about those that are interested in franchising, some suggestions on what they can do to see if it's a good idea for their business. There's a couple of questions that I would ask myself from the very beginning or that I would challenge myself with if considering that number one if you are not wildly profitable and successful with what you're doing that you're thinking about franchising, then you have no business franchising because you're essentially asking people for money to teach them how to be wildly profitable and successful. And if you don't already and haven't already proven concept yourself with what you're doing, then you need to spend a couple more years making that happen and then you'll have no problem selling franchises. So that's that's the first thing. 
The second thing is you need to be taking time to create systems. They're not buying just a good idea because good ideas are a dime a dozen. They're buying a business in a box. They're buying something that was some training from you and or your team that they can duplicate and have similar results. And so you got to have that stuff in place. It can't be any, it can't be up in your head. It's got to be down on paper because when you're putting a franchise together, when you're doing the legal and the franchise documentation and all that, you know, those manuals that have to be handled and there's, there's all kinds of stuff that has to be laid out on the front end. Um, the, the franchise disclosure document, which is a government sanctioned document that every franchise is required to have and to present to somebody uh, who's interested in potentially being part of the franchise, uh, the detail that's involved in that document is ridiculous. Mm. But it's there for a reason, because they're an unknown quantity for to begin with. They don't know a, whole about, a lot about you and your business. And that document is meant to answer every question that could possibly every co- ever come up legally or otherwise. So there's no question about your business relationship, how you're meant to work together, what their responsibilities are, what your responsibilities are, et cetera. It's not just about running that successful business. It's about having all the stuff in place to support it um, because ultimately that's what they're buying. They're buying that support. They're buying the systems and processes to where all they got to do is copy you and what you've done to be successful themselves. Perfect, my friend. And Matt, is there any other tips you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off today? I would just once again, Chris, tell folks, guys, this is a long game. You need to be willing to put in the work. Um, If you're, you know, paralyzed right now, I call it paralysis of analysis Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, get in the game. You're not going to learn or figure it all out by sitting at home online trying to figure it out and and looking for answers there and in every business things will change you will try things you'll fail the only way that you figure it out is by getting in the game and making a lot of mistakes along the way i did a ton of stupid stuff in the last 10 years but i moved forward after every failure to where here i am quote unquote an overnight success after 13 years of being in vending I was just willing to fail enough until I figured something out that nobody else, no one else had figured out before. And so be willing to do that. Realize that most failures, most issues and challenges you have are recoverable from uh, if you're willing to work through them. And if you're willing to learn something from them, they will help you be stronger and help you ultimately get where you want to go. Great tips from Matt Miller. Thank you very much, Matt, for coming on the show. I can't express my gratitude enough for you giving your time to us and the listeners. If there's anybody out there that like to reach out to you and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they could do that at? I, I wrote a short ebook a couple of years ago, Chris, called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business. It's just insights for me being in vending for a long time. Um, they can go to ssvbusiness.com slash house, H-O-U-S-E, and anybody in your audience who would like can download that for free. 
Um, if they want to talk more specifically about what we do as a franchise, I'd be more than happy to, to start a dialogue with them on that as well. But otherwise, it's my hope and prayer that I at least get people thinking because most people don't see vending as a real business. But I'll tell you, it is real. Um, we've raised approaching $5 million for schools in the last 10 years doing what we do 50 cents at a time. So um, it is real. And it was my ticket out of the rat race that Kiyosaki talks about so that I could do what I truly felt God was leading me to do and that I was meant to do versus doing whatever I had to do to pay the bills and keep a roof over our head. I like it. Thank you so much, Matt, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Yeah, Chris, thanks for having me on. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll sign off and see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.